Hi, I'm Will. This is Arbitrarily Deterministic on KeithFM.com, the show where I talk to people that I admire. Most of those people are people making digital art or radio shows about digital art. Sometimes those people are selling things as NFTs. NFTs are financialized products by nature. So please, anything we say here today is for entertainment purposes only. Do not think about any of this as financial advice in any way. If you're listening to this on keithfm.com, there's a nice yellow donate button. Please hit that if you are enjoying the show and want to send some support. You can also donate directly to our Tez wallet. I don't like podcasts.tez. Thanks to Ozzy for that one. You can also send ETH directly to kenconsumer.eth. Today we are welcoming Ken, Ken Wyatrek, Ken Consumer, to the show. Ken is an artist, collector, and radio host. How's it going, Ken? Hi. Thanks for having me. Hey, glad you can make it. Yeah. Uh, Ken, <laughs> why do I have you on the show today? Uh, so I've been making these plots, and then you've been liking them, and some other friends of mine have been liking them, and other people in, in the Twitter sphere have been asking me questions about them. And so you asked me, maybe would it be too much up my own ass to have you host the show and talk to me? And I said, uh, after some kind of running around with it, I said, yeah, let's do it tomorrow. <laughs> so here we are doing it. It's pretty radical. Yeah, yeah. You turned it back and, and got me to commit to doing it right away, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, if he, if he really wants to do it, let's go. We've got a free day. Let's go. So Hell yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to start then, which is with your plotter works. And, you know, at the last, the beginning of the last episode, you started to talk about picking up that plotter, but you didn't really tell us what inspired you to get it in the first place. And what is the story or like how, why were you inspired to even start using it in your own artistic process? What's going on? Yeah. So I didn't even know that plotter art existed honestly until a couple of years ago um and honestly i i had never really seen it now i'd hung out with a bunch of people who have made digital art and have made videos and done animations and i mean i i, I went to school and got like you know my mfa the end of my M the end of my degree says uh studio art with emphasis on photography and digital media so i did a bunch of you know stuff in that realm already and i was always using photoshop i actually used with um when I worked on a newspaper in in college, we we used Photoshop one <laughs> to lay stuff out to do stuff in, the, in there, so we were like half tone photos. Anyway, so I was always working in this digital realm, but I didn't know that plotters existed, and th they they sort of popped up in, in whenever I found out about gen art, really more than anything else. Like once I started seeing that code art was becoming a thing, like on the blockchain, I started to like look deeper into what was going on in that, and getting further into the history around it, and then I started seeing like oh, <clears throat> people started you know, posting a lot more stuff about using their, their plotter. And then I met Ma Marcel and Marcel is like, I mean, I, I, you know, I can talk to you about a lot of people and I can talk to you about, like, I've met a lot of people. I've been, I hang out with a lot of really interesting folks. I've met a lot of people through this show that were, you know, here on this, but Marcel is like, 
I mean, that guy's amazing. He's like genuinely one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. And he's just got like a really fantastic idea. And his plotters are inspiring. He uses old retro plotters. He doesn't use the kind of thing that I do. But talking to him about how it affects what he makes and why he uses that has really been inspiring. Because when <laughs> we were talking, it was over a year ago now, I was over at his place. And he had said to me like, uh, maybe you want to do something with with a plotter, and I was like, "Yeah, maybe I do. I want to maybe use like a plotter to grid up some paper." <laughs> and he was like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah, I just want like to have some dots. I just wanted to, you know, hit like some things so that I can build patterns and work on these other things." Because at that time, I was trying to get back into my art making process because I kind of took a little break there because I've been running this gallery and this bar and stuff. And so I was watching how the, the speed with which it was able to get stuff out. And I thought, oh, if, it, if we just put like a series of dots here, I could play around inside those dots. Well, we played with it and it wasn't something I wanted to do. <laughs> and so I just kind of put it to the side because I didn't figure out like, how could I really use it? Because my work is for all this time. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just talking over every, I'm just, just running. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is your right as the guest. Well, I think you were going to start talking to us maybe about the techno virus kind of arc of your work. And uh, the fact that at least from the few pieces that I've seen stuff that you've shared with me, like their geometry, straight lines, it, it does feel like, even though it's hand drawn uh, and I presume maybe even without a ruler, but it kind of feels like it would have been gridded out or made by a computer sometimes. I think that's kind of what you're going for. But yeah, continue with where you were going with that. Explain this great background info. Exactly. So like, man, all right. So how do I get to the techno virus without sounding like a crazy person? (laughs) Because every time I bring up stuff about the techno virus, I always sound crazy, I think. But so in the the 90s, I read a book called It's All God. And it got me thinking about like, what does it mean? Like, cause I was, I was never, I'm not really, I, I don't really, I'm not really into religion in, in, in that stuff, but I am interested in the idea of existence, right? So I read this book by a guy called Walter Starkey that really set me on a path of thinking about existence. And then there was this record from um, Neutral Milk Hotel. And, and in that record, there's this one line that he says, how strange it is to be anything at all. And that, I, I remember I was on I-45 in Houston and I was driving back. I had been teaching school and I was driving back and I heard that line and I was like, fuck, wow, that's fucking crazy. Like that is like the most intense line that I had, I'd, I'd heard to that point in my life. It still blows my mind. I think about that a lot um, and I walk around. And so throughout the course of the next bunch of years, my work kind of floated around in this idea of what is existence? How does it come about? How, why do we have this thing? And that's when I came up with that whole like Genesis myth concept around the techno virus and all that shit around the, the diamond prophets being those people who've seeded the universe. But that's all based on like, in my mind, it's all based on science and math. Right. But like, you know, and, and that's how the creationism myth kind of works together for me, you know? And so that stuff's all hand drawn. And so I draw all that stuff and I've just been drawing it for so long that it's generally what I go back to. I I tend to start drawing that kind of way, this sci-fi stuff, this cartoony thing, this comic stuff, because that's the stuff that really interests me because they tell stories in different ways using graphic novels and whatnot. So you can really tell deeper things this way. But some of the other like things about it is because for me, it just gets my hand back into that muscle memory of of doing something again, right? So when I started drawing that stuff again, 
in uh, this this last round here a couple of years ago, it's because I needed to get my hand back into the the movements and the thought processes around how do you put these uh, really geometric kind of really straight solid things and use uh, like wires and stuff to create the organic movements around within them. And that sort of got me back into it. And then talking a lot to Evan Green um, over time, he started working with me on this technovirus stuff again. And then we kind of started veering into um, something else because I wanted to, I wanted to start exploring something different a little bit. And he, um, latched onto it and by him latching onto it he started taking those drawings that i was doing and he was just using them creating these new things to create this sculpt and that got my head thinking further about like those things exist now (laughs) you know like those things have their own existence right so these things that are impossible objects that are absolutely there's they're so fantastic and they're so wild looking and they have this way but they're they they can only exist as that thing they can't they couldn't exist in any other way like really you know any of those things and that's what makes them really really radical is that they are so abstract of a concept that it's just about the you're, you're looking at it and you're just like, you can't ask blue, like, why are you blue? It's just, it's, it's going to answer. I'm fucking blue, you know? And so it's like, that's <laughs> when you're looking at, that's how I felt like when you looked, that's how I felt when I looked at those sculpts, I was like, of course, of course, that's what this leads to. This leads to the narrowing down of this into this sort of, here's color, here's this movement, here's this way you can look at it as being static. You can look at it as being moving. It's just from this image and that just, spiraled me out and that's where i was like okay i have to get a plotter i have to start working on the on making that type of thing like come into existence in in the way that i want that to come into existence from my head not from what's been trained on the other things but my own sort of like large language model you know because he was using ai for a lot of that stuff right training models based off your drawings yeah using those as inputs so, I mean, I, I, I remember the sculpt release and those do have like kind of the essence of being like a higher dimensional object that's been like being represented in three dimensions, right? So that we can see it. Like, in the, like you're saying that kind of impossible geometry aspect to it. And you're capturing so much of that with the plotter stuff that you're doing now. So I, I guess I'm curious to know why, well, why and what does the plotter enable you to do? that you couldn't do with your hand. Right. So, so like, okay, when I got the plotter, I had a different idea about how I was going to use the plotter. I thought I would use the plotter to just kind of do some of the more basic shape building that I did, that just used to take me a lot of time. And I thought I could use the plotter to build the shape and then go in and, and do a lot of the handwork on my own and then use the plotter to kind of like augment some of the stuff I was doing. And I did that like in the right away when I got the plotter. But once I started doing that, I realized I'm better than the plotter at certain things, but the plotter is better than me at other things, right? So why am I trying to force myself to be better at the things that the plotter could do now, now that I can build this relationship, right? So this relationship starts with my finger to my trackpad, Right. So I go to my trackpad on my on my on my laptop and I put my finger on my trackpad. And in this very first moment, this is the first collaboration I'm making. I'm making a collaboration between me and this machine. 
And on this machine, I'm drawing what I'm thinking about. I'm making squares. I'm building rectangles. I'm putting them in perspective. I'm filtering them. I'm moving things around because I don't understand code. I don't know that part. But my first collaboration is with this part using programs like GIMP and Inkscape. And I'm building the, the, the basic shape that I'm going to use the inks with, right? So I'm doing this here. This is my first collaboration. Then there's another collaboration between that final thing that I decide is an SVG that the plotter can read. And then there's that collaboration between this machine and the plotter. And then there's another one between the plotter and me where I'm putting the inks and looking at the colors and seeing which ones are going to actually reach those layers of theory that I'm thinking about. Because, um, so these things are kind of encapsulated by two very, very basic series, very, very basic theories. One of them is minimal perturbation. That's that, um, the theory that, uh, or, or the, it's not a name theory. It's a, it's a thing that says that one small movement over time it magnifies and becomes a bigger movement, right? So like it, it, it's deeper than that, but that's a simple way of doing it, right? Then the other theory that, or the other thing I'm playing around with is chromatic aberration. And chromatic aberration says that like, if you're looking at green, you know, you can separate yellow and, and, and blue out of that green and that's chromatic aberration. You can do that mostly with light. And it's pretty rare when people use chromatic aberration in, in other ways, but this is what I'm trying to achieve, like the both the uh, the reality of it, but also just this sort of per perception of it. And like this, it's almost, you know, it's almost there, you know? And so when I started playing around with it and started seeing it, it was like, oh, I can use this to achieve some of these color things that, those sculpts were achieving where colors just seem to be just randomly appearing out of everywhere, which they were in that, in that sense. But in this, they're not so random. Like it's much more like I have to think it through because if not, it just looks like weird. looks like a whole, it actually just all kind of turns brown. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but some of them, that color mixing turning into those browns and blacks actually like plays a, a role in yeah. the final piece. But what you were saying about the color use, like the thing that really strikes me and you were kind enough to share a little deck of gallery of some of the other pieces that you have that haven't been made to NFTs yet. Um, the way that you're using color to create depth versus say like another plotter artist that I'm a fan of is threefold, right? Emil, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you've encountered his work. Absolutely. And he creates depth by just making like these tiny little strokes yep. with the plotter and just changing the angles and doing this kind of topographical thing to create depth there. But Looking Jacob at some of the pieces that you've made, it almost gives me like a 3D glasses and a glyph, like stereoscopic thing where you're getting all of this depth even, but it's just purely from color, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's purely, I mean, there's nothing there. It's just flat, but like, it's, if you, uh, <laughs> I mean, again, it goes back to that same idea. It's like, this is, it's super difficult to explain because I have, to be perfectly honest, I don't really understand it. Um, I just have the experience using it and I've seen it so many times because I've played with these materials for so long that like, I know that, okay, this kind of pin, you know, leaves like some sort of uh, alcohol residue along the edge that if it's in touching another kind of pin, that it's going to make that pin break apart. Or mm. like I, I've learned that like, sharpies and uh and copic markers don't like each other and so that's a pretty fun thing to play around with i also i've also learned that like you know using 
certain uh, other things like vinegars and, 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 and alcohols inside your inks will do different things to them. So like I use, I use all of this like stuff that I've been playing around with for all these years and I'm just applying it to having this machine that can actually accomplish this stuff repetitively and you, and, and get it done right every single time so that I can like get better myself at the other parts of it so that I can try to catch up to it. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to try to like be better at what I'm good at, which is like applying paint and doing these things in certain ways that are much more free and open and then allow it to be good at what it's good at, you know, <laughs> and then yeah. trying to meld these two things over time is probably, you know, 10 years worth of my time, you know? So I, I think I'm a long, long way from being where I want to be with this thing though. <laughs> Well, I mean, I feel like there's such a fantastic connection to generative art, code-based generative art there and what you kind of just said, because when you look at artists, especially artists like, say, Lars Wander, William Appan, who are really just like trying to crank the code to achieve those realistic like mediums of like paints and inks and stuff. And here you're using this machine, but then kind of your alchemy of like, I know that this proportion of vinegar into this ink is going to create this, like it. I don't know if, do you see kind of where I'm going there? It's like yeah. kind of like you're, you're coding with your materials. Like it's, or right. Like I think that's such a, I don't know. To me, that just immediately tied me into just thinking about like code-based art, but that's because I'm I mean, such I'll, a code-based art kid. You know, code-based, <laughs> code-based art is really what got me into this thing in the first place. Like, I mean, for real, like if I, if when I took, I kind of was looking at stuff, um, like over the course of, you know, a couple of years in this and seeing like a lot of this is just very basic building blocks of squares, triangles, basic geometry with, you know, some sort of wave effects kind of moving around. Then there are some things that are a little bit more wild shaders and things like this, but most of the stuff is built kind of on that. And we sort of praise people's ability to hide that or use that to its advantage, one or the other, right? More than than the people that are just using it. So excuse me. So for, for me, I started thinking about like, how do I build this stuff and how do I do it? Once I was looking at like what, what the plotter did. And once I started seeing what the plotter did, I was like, shit, man, I could really like do some really fascinating stuff with this and I can actually get a little bit further. And so once I started seeing that and I was like, okay, this is just basically a bunch of squares. And then, so I just made, I made a tool that you know, I just made like a, a brush and that brush is, is like some rectangles. And then I just used those rectangles and I figured out pretty quickly, like, oh, I could put them in perspective this way. I could do this this way and I could just make it look really weird. Like it's just fucked up. Right. And then I figured out, oh, well, I could take those things and break those things apart even into further places by cutting and pasting them and then make them not be so um, so clean you know, like just cut off edges of them. So instead of making the the stroke be, you know, three pixels, one direction or, or one pixel, just because all the, the thing needs is just one. Um, instead of making it do that, make it be three. And then in way, and when I'm cutting and pasting, shaving off one here and shaving off two here and making it be so that it's kind of weird and looks wavy whenever it comes on to the, to the plotter. And experimenting in that period was really fun because I was like, okay, this material like this ink from this brush <laughs> is just going to just blow out all over the page. So I can't really do that again. You know, I had learned that the speed that the brush goes is how you can make a corner. And then I decided I didn't like that. And I'm just going to leave the rounded things. Cause I think that's much cooler. If I guess if I ever need the corner, I can get it. But 
Um, the, these, uh, I'm sorry, I'm ranting. I'm just kind of <laughs> running on about nothing. I mean, but I, I think the, the ranting is very easily interpreted as excitement and like just energy around this new aspect to your practice, right? And it's like, I mean, just looking at it for me, like I, I've obviously been a fan. I've got multiple of your works yeah. from the pre-plotter days and I'm extremely tempted to pull the trigger on a couple of these <laughs> uh, in particular hey batter batter I think is really sick yeah, yeah um, me too. have you so you're doing this all with trackpad and not really coding right you're using you're using tools that interpret your um, gestures to create I guess the SVGs that the plotter uses but have you been inspired to maybe look into learning some of the code stuff yet no is that the next step no, no. never no. <laughs> it's you know I have too many friends who code, right? So like, yeah. I mean, if I need, if I really needed to get into that position to where I needed to have something that I had a specific idea and I really needed to get it out, I could probably find somebody to help me do that. But I, I'm not, that. that's a whole nother layer of specified knowledge that I'm just not, I, I'm, you know, this, this is decades that I'm working on here, you know? And like, I don't think I would be, if I was trying to learn to code, there's no way I would be where I'm at even with this plotter right now because I would be, trying to figure out like how does that how do i get that thing to do that thing instead i'm just going into gimp and just saying it does this you know <laughs> and then i'm just doing it because it's i know how that works you know and so mm -hmm. like that that that's how i get it get it done and then i'm just tracing paths and bringing them over and then using them it's not it's not it's like if you've been using this stuff it's not very difficult to do one of the things though the thing that makes it difficult is getting what you want done and to understand like what it's doing so that you can actually do it. Like that's the, I think that's the thing. Cause like understanding the material, how the material is going to respond and how that the stuff that's on the screen is going to look later on, you know? So I'm, I'm sometimes, even though I know that it's not full, I fill it in. So I know that, okay, because I think of it in reverse. So I'll fill in those areas and I'm like, okay, I know that that's going to be empty so I can play with that later. Um, and that helps me to know like what I, where the, where the other stuff is going to be, you know? And so it helps mm. me kind of see it. And if I want to put something else there, which I've kind of been working on now is figuring out ways to use the negative space um, to exist, to also have some sort of existence in it. Yeah. yeah. Well, where, so this latest series, do you have a name for them? Like I see some uh, names when I mouse over uh, finality, but I don't know if that's actually what they're called. No, that's not what they're called. That's just what. Okay. It, that's just a basic. Um, just a name. Yeah, it's just a folder. The 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 they're called. Um, well, so the the theory, the minimal perturbation theory, is. Um, yeah, is 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 done by a guy called um, Feynman. Right. Um, and so, and, and Feynman, um, his, the, he, this he's is the, the physicist, right? Yeah. The Feynman. physicist Feynman. Yeah. And so this is one of the things that he said was that, um, that, uh, when, when each body pulls on each, they create these, um, these sort of bigger movements. That's why I called the thing, the, the series, when each body pulls on each, I was, Thinking a lot about how minimal perturbation, just that, th just that concept, um, really affected kind of everything, um, and I know Hal also thinks a lot about that, <laughs> and how he and how it goes because we've had some pretty long conversations about this stuff, and Hal is, I mean, Hal Hal is incredibly intelligent. He is so smart, and is it's <laughs> it's um, 
it's uh yeah it's intimidating <laughs> there's some people out there that are intimidating because they're good at well, certain things and he's just really fucking smart man that's where you get into i mean it feels like this is kind of bordering on like the is there a physics explanation for like a deterministic universe type of thing right like if yeah. every particle can be perfectly described yeah. in a system and how they uh collide and interact and create new forces or or move energy around then if you could master that code <laughs> then you could in theory just like run the simulation yeah right and it's all predestined and so is that something where do you sit on that spectrum of free will versus predestination then i mean i, th I have no idea i i sit in the we exist and some things exist and some things don't <laughs> and those things that don't exist they just don't exist right so until they do <laughs> and so this is sort of my like view on all this everything i, I kind of think about how like the idea of pre-rendered frames versus randomly generated frames, you know? So like NVIDIA things now, you're rendering each frame and that frame is coming at you. It's rendering over time, you know, being folded down. But um, the the new things that they're, that they're have, that, that's going to happen now is that they are, that they'll, randomly generate every single pixel right and so it's just going to kind of guess like this is the next place to put the pixel and it's just going to kind of put the pixel some in, in those places and that's kind of how i feel like what what's going on here like mostly it's just like you know we don't really have these pre-rendered frames they could all exist they in fact i believe that everything exists i think if you've ever had the thought it exists somewhere <laughs> because all of a sudden it exists you know and so and it makes it even weirder whenever we start thinking about like how ai has affected all i mean how you know mid-journey and when i say ai i mean like these large language model even image generation and stuff how that has just like the abundance of that shit out there now is just insane it's insane man you can find mm -hmm. anything it's so wild yeah anyway and you know sean yost yesterday or the other day he asked me if i was gonna start introducing ai into how i'm creating my um svgs and i was like you know i hadn't it generally it, it hadn't crossed my mind until that moment and so like if i had thought about it i might have already started um, but I don't know yet. I'm still kind of enjoying doing what I'm doing right now because I think it's so much more fun just at this moment, just kind of playing through it. And and again, they look really sick. Uh, where, where I was kind of trying to go with the original question, like what they're called. So like, where do these fit into the techno virus narrative? Are they their own thing? Are they a part of this story that you've been working on for like, what is it, a decade plus now? And... Well, I'm going to start with that one. Like, where do where do you see the what what do these express out of that story, out of that world? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think you don't know. <laughs> okay, don't, bad question. <laughs> no, it's not a bad question. I just I don't think that it's. <clears throat> I don't think you have to work on everything all the, the same. You know, I think like you can do all kinds of stuff concurrently, and still have all of that in together. And so, I mean, um, do you know this? Do you know Deleuze and you know this rhizomatic structuring for like businesses and for communities and what have you um it's like vaguely you, know, you just have you have like a center and then if somebody has an idea then you foster that idea and it grows and then somebody else has an idea and then you're all working together to sort of like have a common goal towards something hmm. and this <clears throat> this is something that i've applied to everything so i have a lot of i could fakely figure out a way to stick all this shit in there. But I, mm -hmm. I think that that's fake and I don't really need to have that. I can tell you, 
I'm super interested in, in beauty and I really love to see beautiful objects and I really love to see how things, even things that maybe somebody else thinks are ugly or something are, are beautiful in other ways. And, and I'm not afraid to say that I love beautiful things and I want to make beautiful things. I don't want to make shit that is like, you know, um, you know, in, intentionally ugly, you know, and like trash art. I think it's cool and I'm totally into it and I understand it, but like, it's not something I want to do. You know, I like, I want to make beautiful objects that have some layer of lust or desire to them in some iconic manner, you know? And I think that, I think that these somewhat achieve that. Um, and you know, like, I think it's pretty crazy <laughs> that I was actually able to pull some of this off, like pretty quickly with that, with that, uh, that machine there. Yeah. I mean, I'm, so what was it then? I, I, I kind of asked this question in one, one way, but maybe to rephrase it, like, what do you notice between the pieces that you produce with the potter versus the pieces that you were doing entirely handmade? Like when you're, uh, because I, I mean, I notice a lot of similarities in, in the, you know, again, like the geometries and the straight lines mm -hmm. and the use of color, <clears throat> but there's like this extra level of like density and compactness to these. And again, like also that layering of color that perhaps that just the repeti re repetition enabled by the plotter, like, makes more viable for you so is it like an efficiency thing or is it like oh like using that using that software plus this tool actually physically does something that you couldn't have done or, or wouldn't have done by hand some it, it's a little bit of all of that um some of the stuff i couldn't do by hand <clears throat> like there's no possibility that some of that stuff i could do some of the others some of the things that i could do by hand i, I wouldn't want to it would take me forever um, and it's not like, it's not interesting. It's better. That thing is better at that. That's what I was saying. Like, yeah, that thing is really good at, um, at, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, um, and following directions. It's awesome at that. Um, and so like, if you have good directions for it, then it's going to, you know, and you have a understanding of what that's going to do. It's pretty cool to work with. What I think like overall, my relationship to the plotter is I feel like, I've just met like my best friend that I'd never met before. You know, I mm -hmm. mean, I should have had this person should have had this, this, this robot hanging out with me for a lot longer. I just didn't know it existed and I should have gotten one right away. I just didn't know what it could do. Um, and now that I do, I just feel like I'm super attached to it. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I, I, you know, really, really like it. Are you going to be stealing plotters out of Marcel's studio soon and no. trying to scale up? <laughs> no, he uses different stuff. He's using like he's his his stuff is way much more far out, man. He's thinking about some really amazing mathematical things and some stuff that deals with like old retro machines and his connection to them. Like when I when I made music, I was in this band, Indian Jewelry, and we I had a bunch of like. Um, old music making gear I, I wouldn't ever have a laptop on stage i thought that that looked so cheesy now it's a norm but like back then mm -hmm. there was no possibility i was going to do something like that so i had like a whole bunch of machines and some of them were you know broken and did like one sound you know <laughs> they like made this woof sound or you know or you know whatever just something mm -hmm. and those and i had like a whole airport of this stuff and this is what i traveled around with and i love that and so this is i think another reason why i like marcel so much is because he has the same sort of affinity towards these stuff what is broke you know and so and he mm. wants to get it and figure out how to fix it and then make it go and then show it the love that it needs and then make it produce things again, you know, and make it be 
you give give it sort of like its respect and the respect that he believes that those machines are, are due. And I love that about him. He's very conscientious of this. And I think that that, that stuff that he's working on out there is something completely different than what than what I am. We just happen to be the thing happens to have the same name. You know, that's that's really that's really it. That's really the only similarity between what he's doing and what I'm doing. At least yeah, that's just I've a found. robotic arm that holds a pen. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean well his he those ones he's got out there have like other stuff i mean they're like to, they're just very different very different animals than than this thing like the things he did with for octet they're just very different um they have a very different way of operating and whatnot yeah, i finally have my octets uh framed and on the wall feel feel good about that that's it yeah <laughs> yeah i haven't framed my octet i i have it sitting there in my flat file and I got to get one of those. You do. You know, I listened I, to your episode with uh, with Ben and or Simon yeah. says, and uh, I I uh, I had sent him a picture of my flat file <laughs> when I was listening to it. I was like, oh, yep, flat file. <laughs> Took a quick yeah. picture of it. Yeah. We we just talked to uh, Susanna, who's one of the founders of Tonic, yeah. and I got a between her and Trinity, I got a little bit of a scolding for how much unframed work is sitting like behind me and in the closet right yeah. now and I need to get a way to either store it or I need to take myself to the framer and get it done. Yeah. So, yes, you definitely do. You should probably get a flat file though. Also, yeah. just to have a flat file. Like they're really good for they're really good to have. I you know, I lived many years without one, but I even I built like a weird thing in my flat upstairs and that has places to store stuff and then we had stuff uh, stored in other in other ways in other places um before and so like uh i know how to store these things but i just never had a flat file and martin bauer um my machine he goes by he's got this mass he's the one who has that big plotter that's like three meters or by five meters or whatever um and it's crazy and, and he was he got like a, some money and bought and upgraded his flat file system so he had a bunch of flat files to get rid of and me and Marcel, and Marcel was like, oh, I'm going to go get these. And I was like, oh, cool. I would like two of those as well. Uh, and now I'm kind of regretting only getting two. I just don't have space for a third one. I mean, it's they're, they're massive, you know, they're really, really big metal. Okay. Ones. I'll have to take some measurements then. <laughs> I was thinking I might be able to fit it right over here. But if they're, are there smaller ones? Maybe I'll just get a smaller one. Um, <laughs> you, you don't have to get, unless you're getting really big art, unless you have like big meter by meter, you know, stuff. Or no, nothing that big, luckily. Luckily, well, yeah. Well, that stuff is all on the on the wall. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I got yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, got yeah. You. I have so much of that shit, man. I was like, for a bunch of years, I was working on like one meter by seventy, uh, seventy centimeter pieces. So I have like tons of those. I just have like stacks and stacks and stacks of that stuff. And mm. some of it looks really cool, and it's a it's a shame it's hanging out in this uh, <laughs> in the flat file because <laughs> everything moved over there now. Um, it's a, the Technovirus archives. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what it yeah. is. Uh, that's totally what it is. Hey, so I, w- I have a question for you. Okay, that's uh, allowed. <laughs> that's that's good. Whenever you interview artists on your show, or yeah. you kind of you you branch beyond artists and you talk to other um, you talk to other people as well. But whenever you interview artists on the show, do you prep really hard? It depends on the artist, but we do always create a note doc. Yeah. Some artists that, especially artists who haven't released on FX hash where we don't have some natural starting points and we've been doing more and more of those lately. Yeah. yeah. I'll go and find old interviews. Also, I find that 
if you can get like an old interview of someone and see the way that they talk, it actually helps like with some of the, maybe the nervousness uh-huh. of interviewing them. Cause you get their vibe. Like, so we did Maya man recently. Oh yeah. And I didn't really know her work that well, mm-hmm. but I knew that she was an interesting person to talk to and digging into some of the stuff that she had done um, interviews on YouTube. I was like, Oh, she's chill. Like she's got a great vibe. And then I can kind of start mentally thinking like how this episode will go. Right. And mm-hmm. I find that very helpful for me <laughs> at least. <laughs> Does does tr- uh, does Trinity uh, participate in much of the um, uh, question making for that stuff? Yeah, you do it yeah, together? it's collaborative. We we use this product. Uh, it's free, or at least the the level that we use as free. It's called Notion, and it's just mm-hmm. like an online cracking, like note taking and organizational tool. And so we have all of the notes from since we started using Notion. At least we used to do it in a Google Doc. And we fill it with links too. And so, like, if one of us finds something, it'll be like question plus like the source that inspired it. So the other person can go click and read it and have context and stuff. So, yeah, it's very collaborative. That's cool. Yeah, you're a one man show, so you're 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 responsible for your own kind of brain and, <sighs> and self prep, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I kind of just look at the stuff. I mean, to be real, I just go and look at the artists that. I don't put anybody on here that I don't really already kind of have a pretty solid, yeah, you know, at least a knowledge of their art, you know, <laughs> um, I maybe don't know much about them as people, but I know at least their art whenever, whenever I have somebody on the show, most of the time there's, I don't think I've, yeah, no, no, no. it's always the same. I've you, only had like one product person come on, right? That was Adam. Yeah. Adam, probably yeah. tender. Okay. I'm sure you've, you've, uh, I was going to ask you, well, if we're going to turn towards make the, like the fact that we both have shows, yeah. one of the questions I wanted to ask you was why are we still making shows and why do we make them? <laughs> what is your take on why we do this? Oh, well, I, I know why I do it. I mean, I do it cause I really, for me personally, this is about like, I mean, I have a radio station, right? So <laughs> I have, con- I need to fill it with content. I do this show um i do i do arbitrarily deterministic because the artists that i have on there i'm fascinated by and Mm -hmm. i've i'm i'm uh, i'm interested in knowing more about them i mean i think like maybe in the early um in the early phase i was a little bit more uh naive about some of the things um that kind of go into it but like as i've gone on and done it longer i'm you know, I'm pretty well aware of like how people respond to things. You know, the, one of the worst things was we, when I had Alex Grasser on, we, we had like, we just had so many technical mistakes. It was just, it was, it was terrible. We were both like off our game. We were both trying yeah. to solve like, like kind of do whatever, you know I mean? It happens, but he, you know, that was like, it, it just felt weird to have like the, that be the final show. And then <laughs> like for the season, it's just like, shit, that's terrible that we had so many technical problems for that. I know. It was kind of a, I mean, I'm a big Alex Grasser fan too. And it was kind of like, Oh no. Like I, I feel, cause I feel like you only got maybe 30 minutes yeah. out of that hour with him, which yeah. was kind of a bummer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then you came back, you rallied strong from the pan to open the season. Right. Yeah. So that was that's pretty good. Man. He's, he's <laughs> really, really fun to talk to. He's really cool. Yeah, really like uh, listening to him talk to you in prep for us potentially talking to him soon was very helpful also to get his vibe. And he is just seems very cool and casual about everything, which is like, okay, nice. Yeah. Like, I kind of feel like I can ask him some questions, uh, not like mean questions, but like maybe more like pointed questions, you know? And he would be like 
cool about it and like roll with it and be like, yeah, I'm like, I'll absolutely, I feel like he'll be honest no matter what you ask. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. No, 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 he doesn't, he's not going to mess around. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to tell you what's up. Yeah. He knows, exactly. Yeah. He's a, he's, he's a really, really nice guy. You know, I, I, I communicate with Marius Watts a lot and mm. you know, like, He's another person. You, you, like whenever I when I need to bounce something on some, you know, when I want to say something, point like I can talk to him and he'll and he'll talk to me back, and I like that. Um, I, I bet I need people who who in my life that you know are really like towards you know towards how what's going on around me because if not, mm. I'll just check out, you know, and just be like <laughs> off in some other planet doing my own thing and come back. Yeah. Every now and then. Well, what do you how what do you think the vibe has been now? Like we're, we've been in this bear market with the NFTs and the art stuff for like over a year, we were just kind of chatting about this before the show too, right? Like mm -hmm. it feels like a lot of the perhaps like less authentic collectors have left, mm -hmm. but what do you think the vibe is in the space now? Like as far as um, not, not sentiment, sentiment's not the right word, but kind of that aspect of authenticity. Right. And like the fact that like the people who are left, I feel like are not just going to be like, it's, yeah, it's going to infinity. Like everything is a grail. Like I feel like people now are much more open to saying like, yeah, I didn't get that one or no, like, you know, you know do you know what I mean? Like, what do, do you think the vibe is? How has it shifted in the last year or so? I think that the idea around how, how collectors look at what, look at art, like how they view the artist has changed quite a bit. Um, I think like in the earlier days, there was a, like a artist is just a shitcoin creator to a specific uh for a specific group i mean you know by earlier days i mean earlier days of of, of this sort of two years ago yeah two years ago <laughs> um and in in that little stretch there in that two-year stretch like artists really um asserted their power i guess in some way and those and they they are saying like we're, we're making art don't just think of this stuff as something that you're going to get rich off really quickly some artists are actually using that and playing with that idea of course like you know stevie p and roxanne a little bit and some you know other people are out there screwing around with these ideas right but then there's you know um you know the the, the, the majority uh, of the people that are left here i think are really care about like what's going on they they seem to be well, engagement is a weird word. Engagement's hard to talk about, but like they're they they're a little bit better at it, you know, because <laughs> they're just kind of here now, and they they they're kind of floating in it. They're seeing like what's getting better. They're they're not just jumping on shiny new thing. They're you know metas play out much um, much longer, um, and they can take their time to sort of become meta, you know, instead of like just like instant. Here's this thing within this thing all of a sudden. And I think that that's, um, that's cool. You know, like I've seen like a lot of stuff. I mean, uh, Jarrah's work really, really just exploded. I mean, he, he went, he, he, he was good. He was pretty good. He was, he was better. Uh, that's, that's, that's pretty nice to holy fuck. Like Torrent is like unreal. Like that is a really amazing absolutely far out thing that is not trying to be anything other than what it is and it and it's and what it is is fantastic and that's really really in my mind really great and so there's like this other meta playing out 
from that, I've noticed, I myself was inspired by it and tried to make something similar to it because I looked at it and was like, damn, that's cool. And I wasn't really thinking about like, oh, I'm going to try to make that. I'm just going to be thinking about that. I think other people had that same thought. And I think that they're, mm -hmm. and I'm seeing it kind of right now, like playing out, right? So it's like, it, these things are taking a little bit broader, broader view of how this is happening. And I think that that's cool. I think that things are going to take a little bit longer to, I think artists are going to take a little bit longer to explore ideas. And we're not going to have this constant deluge of, of um, you know, the stuff that they didn't really finish, but was finished just enough, you know, that looked yeah. just cool enough to get out there. And it's probably like healthier, right, for an artist to come in and put out some work that's like solid. It's cool. Like, yeah, that's absolutely worth the five tes, and I'm happy to have that token. But it, not have it appreciate to thousands of dollars off of just speculation and um, so and so influencer, you know, trying to pump it for whatever their motives are, yeah. and then like just look at that, be like, okay, it minted out. Next, next one right. I'm going to work harder. And I kind of feel like, you know, like Jerez is an example, had a lot of early work that like kind of minted out, had a little bit of secondary, but never went nuts. Mm -hmm. Then had a, a nice little breakthrough or a couple little breakthroughs and then mm -hmm. just graduated up, you know, yeah. into verse, into tender collab, into yeah. Yeah. art blocks. But it's kind of weird. It's gotta be weird to, to have your first piece go nuts and then not really know maybe why yeah. or what. And how do you mature from that mm -hmm. as an artist right like i don't know as, as a non-artist i do i do not know <laughs> so i don't know how to answer that question either because i didn't ever blow up you know i mean like that's not something i uh, i know because i didn't do it um yeah. and i just make stuff you know and so like i think that some people who have that same mindset who just make stuff like i think it's just it's not the same as somebody who came in and made one thing and that thing just went and went, you know, instantly and just like, boom for them. Like, I don't think, I, I don't know how you recover from that. Actually. I don't know what you do, you know, like, I don't know how you, what your, what your next move is because I think you're going to have a whole bunch of leeches on you. Um, and immediately, like if you're good, you know, and so you've got to figure out which leeches are actually healthy. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going to have the leeches of maybe, um, you know, platforms coming to you trying to get your work and have it done by a certain date. And this is what we're going to do. Yeah. But then also the kind of just like the persistent leech of the market of like my first one did a hundred X and now my second one minted out, but it's actually below mint. And then just like what, what happened and then just losing, just losing the buzz and like that always trying to recapture that or or trying to figure out like why like i thought this piece was better and it did worse like what happened right like it, that has just got to be such a difficult thing yeah. to I handle mean, <laughs> yeah i think that you know that's a tough one for anyone i guess yeah. um and you know again it goes back to intention and what are you doing and how are you trying to solve like what are you trying to solve by doing it this way? Or are you just trying to capitalize on this? I mean, there's a lot that goes on in that. Marcel asked me upstairs one day, it, like right after I got the plotter, he was like, why are you doing that? <laughs> the machine, you know, like, like this doesn't make any sense. Like you, you, why are you doing, machine can do that, you know? And I was just like, yeah, but I, and I, that's kind of this place. Like, yeah, whatever. And, <laughs> and I thought about that after when he left and I was like, yeah, right. Like, 
the fuck, right? And so, like, yeah. you know, the, the the move from that sort of like to to relate that to what I was getting at was that like the idea that some people have come into this place thinking that they're just going to get rich off of this thing, and because they did because they did that one deal, that the next one is just going to be bigger for them, and then it doesn't do that for them it they're act they're they're going about it for the wrong reasons you know what i mean like they're they're looking at it the wrong way they shouldn't be trying to make it you know <laughs> work this way you should just be really stoked that that worked for you and just keep plugging along you know and yeah. keep making these things because that's what really artists are doing they're just making all the time you know yep. you're just constantly th- I, I know a lot of people who have jo- i know a lot of artists who have jobs like outside of like making art and some of those people, like, they think of art as, like, a way to supplement their income, and they're just making art as a, you know, as a side thing. I'm, I'm kind of like that. I'm in a place of privilege a little bit different. But um, but I know a lot of other people who are artists, who are full-time artists, who there's no fucking possibility they could have ever been anything other than a full-time art. Just, <laughs> they, they are incapable of anything other than that thing. Like I have one friend, like I could, I can't even imagine him teaching a course at a university because he's just, he's just so much about just like, I have to apply this paint to this canvas. You know, he's, he's, his work is, is phenomenal. I talk about him all the time and I love him. I think he's a fantastic artist. And that's the thing. He's a fantastic, he's an artist. He doesn't do something else you know he doesn't he doesn't work at a as a bartender for me for example you know and so like like me you know <laughs> for example owning a bar and being an artist kind of tend to be kind of hand in hand you know for people like me who are you know older and never really thought about like an art career in that sense you know just kind of made it by doing what i'm doing you know and, and kind of happening this way yeah anyway tangent but if it happens passively pretty cool right yeah Yeah, totally i mean whenever it happens it's just like oh fuck yeah man that was a really excellent spark of creativity that i was able to get speaking of that that day that piece still i still look at that sparks of creativity from whatever whoever the hell put that out i still look at that and still think that's really awesome that is a really awesome fx hash piece that people like flipped out crazy and made go nuts and now it has no value in in that Totally I was I was getting a few of them. I put out a bunch of five Tez offers on ones that were in landscape like yeah. format yeah. because they they look amazing on the frame TV that so, I have. Yeah, yeah. They fit it perfectly, and I was just people were just accepting it five Tez five Tez you know for these great just like yeah. landscape outputs. Yeah. Um, I think it was. I mean, I don't think it was a secret, but it was like Ferdinand Dervo, right? Oh yeah, the yeah, all yeah. for that Ferdy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still think that that's that's his strongest project. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, nothing against anything else. I think that that's a, just a fantastic, really cool. God damn it! <laughs> the radio studio is all busted up. We got to fix the radio studio. If any of the radio studio people are listening, we have to fix the radio studio. <laughs> yeah, we got to figure out a way to get money in the and radio. your donations will help yeah i was gonna say the other way to obviously get rich is to do radio shows and podcasts but uh. <laughs> oh my gosh i'm so rich I got, yeah yeah it's amazing i have i got given a dot the, the trick <laughs> is to never do calculate the hourly rate you, as long as you never try to figure that out you're gonna be happy yeah totally yeah i mean i don't think I don't, I try not to do that for anything I do. 
because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's just all totally stupid. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I pay myself a dumb wage to do the job across the way there, and like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this is a program where we have a hard stop, yeah. which I'm not used to. But we are at about eight nine minutes left here, uh-huh. and perhaps a good way to close it. Talk, this kind of riff that we've been doing on just like the scene in general. Uh-huh. Like, what are what are your wishes, hopes for the space for generative art? even for your own practice, you know, it like, wh- where do you think we're going from here? Having been, you've been in NFTs for pr- most of it at this point, right. For most of the history of it. Mm-hmm. So, and at least for the generative art side of it. Mm-hmm. So like what encourages you? Let's end on a hopeful note. Like, where are we going? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful period. Like, I think that this, this isn't just, this is just kind of like in the very beginning phase of this sort of uh, monetization of the browser-based um, algorithmic art you know i think that we're really like in the front end of that i think we're also sort of like i think the cat the genie's out of the bottle right i mean you can't you're not going to put it back in you can we're already tied i mean big museums everybody's tying everybody's tying their shit to nfts right now anyway and there and it's not about it's not about the thing that's the NFT. It's about the fact that they have this title to ownership and that, that you can actually prove who made it and blah. There's a lot of there's a lot of good things that are going that are happening in this realm because of that. And that's very cool to me. And I think that, you know, generative art is literally the perfect kind of art for this sort of setting, right? Because I mean, you know, transaction hash and whatnot is just really fantastic for, for filling those those random numbers in. it's just a really cool way of doing that and then this is the perfect way to monetize that and keep people kind of in the creative class rolling so i'm hoping that but i'm not even hoping i'm pretty sure <laughs> that this is just sort of like the beginning of like a much larger picture i just don't see that like the hype game might get played again once or twice, you know, but like the hype game happens in the art world and in in every world anyway, you know, all the time. So like, that's not, that doesn't matter. It's more about like, is this going to be a viable thing that museums and that bigger institutions and that places like this are going to be interested in, in the long run to build parts of their collection out? Yeah. I absolutely believe that. And I absolutely believe that the next decade or so of this is going to give way to some of the most interesting and fascinating things that we've seen in a really, really, really long time. And I'm excited for that. (laughs) I really, really can't wait to see what some of these people that are doing it right now in their, you know, in their bedroom are, you know, going to maybe pop out and, and show us like the craziest shit, the shit that we didn't know existed is now going to exist because of them, you know, and that's, that's pretty radical. Yeah, I've been hearing some rumors of, I mean, uh, not even rumors, but like if you remember from the interview we did with um, Leander yeah. last year, yeah. he was like at that point talking about like a generative pottery project. I don't know what's come from that or what, <laughs> you know, clearly it's not out yet, but like the idea of doing generative physical things, yeah. obviously like, there's a component of that that just has to do with like manufacturing capability and maybe some innovations or changes there to make it more like viable and affordable to make a bunch of one of one of one things right mm-hmm. but it certainly is exciting to think about a greater use of the technology um beyond what it mo- is mostly used for which is unfortunately like pfps and stuff <laughs> and just <laughs> just gambling right so i'd love to see some, some more of that stuff emerge um 
I think it will. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I don't see any reason that it wouldn't. I mean, there's just no, you know, there's no better way to verify. There's at this point, at this, maybe they'll come up with a better way to do that. But like at this moment, there's no better way to do that. There's no way to better, no better way to do it for a digital object at all because digital objects are so easily faked. And the blockchain is such a fantastic way to make sure that it's not a fake. And like, for the physical object and tying it to that, it's more difficult because you're saying, you know, hey, if you're going to keep the NFT, the NFT has to be. So you're having to kind of think of the NFT from connection to the physical is much more about the logbook, you know, and like this is for sure we have this thing because we got this thing here and here's this NFT that we have it and we didn't we, we wouldn't have traded it, sent it off without it. And there's a, there's got to be a solution at some point that ties that physical to that to, uh, to the to the nft but it they'll they'll figure it out i imagine you know and at that point then the whole thing will just kind of be a lot more free-flowing um or at least that's what i believe right on that sounds really <laughs> cool and to wrap it up in the last few minutes here mm -hmm. maybe why don't you get off some plugs where can we find your nfts and what's coming up from you like what can we be excited about is a lot of the stuff that you put into the, the deca gallery going to get make its way to foundation are you looking at other ways to distribute the stuff yeah i would love to i mean i think that now that i've got it i can just kind of keep on going with it i'm just going to make stuff and every now and then they'll they'll be kind of cohesive in some way and i'll probably put them in a collection that makes cohesive things and i have another collection that's just plotter art stuff that i just think of as like oh this kind of fits in here because i made it with a plotter you know and i didn't know what to do with it i have this other one called being anything and that's like all those are paintings um and those paintings are about like can that object exist could that object be a place that someone could go into and those are again very much inspired by sculpts and very much inspired by that like period that time period um from where i was working in, the, in that stuff and i yes i have a foundation Hey, I have a several collections on Foundation because I think that at this moment, Foundation is the only real good place that I can think of to put those one-of-one -one type of things. And, I mean, I guess I could have put my own manifold contract, but the way that Deco works now, like, I think I'll, as an artist, there's a, they, they make these, like, artist fronting pages, and you can just kind of do things in, inside Deca that you couldn't, previously do so you don't have to like that sh that thing i shared with you is just uploads you know and so i just uploaded those mm. images and just put them in into a, a little small gallery and cinema which i haven't even minted them as anything else they're just uploads and that's what's badass about deca is they're like allowing you to do shit like this so i didn't have to make a mm -hmm. pdf so that's <laughs> <was> pretty cool <laughs> oh right on everyone go check out uh ken's work on foundation he's at ken consumer there and also very important to note that each of these does come with a physical you're not just getting the digital token you can claim that directly through messaging ken or art fora right so yeah. you will get the physical piece you can hang this and you can tell other people about it yeah just the best part of art right and, yeah and they're beautiful oh. yeah you can tell when it, when someone sees it on your wall you can point them to this episode and say they did this weird thing where the host switched roles and they're just like what <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. fun. Hey, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate hey, it. Hey, thank you for coming on the show, Ken. It was great to learn more about you. Yeah, cool. Uh, all right, bye. All right, bye, everyone. <laughs> oh, shit. Why doesn't it turn off? <laughs>